So let's go ahead and just jump right in this morning. And, and I'll be honest with you, this week has been really difficult for me because I've been very distracted this week um, by just different things going on in our community. And, and I want to talk about those things. Um, so I, I uh, with it being the Christmas season, like, like usual, I try to try to tie in some kind of a Christmas theme or message. And, and frankly, it was a little bit difficult to do that again this week. Um, not that I have to, but I, I just like to, you know, talk about Christmas some. But, but this morning, I feel like this is important to, to address. Um, and, it, and it's just a difficult situation. But as many of you know, um, this past week at, at the Madison Grant School Board meeting, um, some of you may know this, some of you may not, and that's, that's fine. But they uh, approved uh, for there to be uh, use of transgender restrooms. So if, if you... Um, if you, if you identify as the, the sex that you weren't born under, then you are now allowed to use the restroom of your choice in that matter. Um, and, and like many of you, when I first heard it, I was, I was shocked, which, you know, it's something that's been going on in our country for a while. Um, so I think since 2016, I think uh, the current the president in 2016, Barack Obama, had issued that. Um, I think it, I, I don't know the details of it, so if I'm wrong, then just disregard. But I, I believe it was something along the lines of that the public schools had to provide some sort of access um, in the restroom. So it's it's nothing new that's been going on, but it also hasn't been in our neighborhood. We haven't really had to deal with it. So um, so now now we are having to deal with it, and. I've had several people this week calling me, asking me or texting me and, you know, how do we react as Christians? How do we react um, in this situation? And, and it's, it's, a really, it's a really complex issue. It really is. Um, and, but I love the fact that people are asking me because it shows me that they, are, they care not only about the situation, but about the people involved. They care not only about their own beliefs, but they care about the student who is dealing with, with this issue of, of being transgender, dealing with this confusion. Um, they care about the administration who's having to, who's been put in, a, in an impossible situation. And I love that people are contacting me, but at the same time, it's caused me to, to really have to, to uh, think, how, how do we respond as Christians? And and um, again, it's nothing new, so we, I'm sure we all have our opinions and our thoughts concerning this issue. We all, I'm sure, are very passionate in our own ways um, about, about this issue. Um, and so I, I've spent a lot of time this week really thinking about how to address it and how, how do I personally respond. And then, and then I felt like it was necessary to talk about it because um, it is a major concern in a lot of people's lives. And now that it's, now that it's here, um, and now that we're, we're dealing with it in our own school system, um, it's, it's going to be even more so in the, in the upcoming, um, in, our, in, the, in the time ahead of us. You know, how do, how do we respond? How do we deal with it? Um, obviously, we, we want to be compassionate, but we also um, want to make sure that um, we're heard as well. That makes sense. So, so let me let me just let me just read off my notes here, um, so I don't go off book too much and say something dumb. So, um, let me just read here. So, so, how do we react? The first and obvious answer to this is we react in total love. We react in love. That's the obvious answer. The administration 
Dr. Dietz, who's a superintendent, this student and their family should feel overwhelmingly loved by those who call themselves Christians. That, that I think even in the midst of, of this controversial time, they should feel more love than they ever have before. That our response should be overwhelming love for them. Don't allow yourself to get so caught up in the politics of all of it that you forget we are dealing with real people who are in impossible situations and a real child who is entangled into confusion. And, and I, that's an important sentence for me because, and why I even struggle talking about it is because I've seen the church, not necessarily this church or even, even anything locally, but as a whole or in other, other congregations, I've seen the church develop this political spirit where it's about pushing their agenda and they forget about the people who are involved. Because let me, let me remind you of something. This is, this is, I think, so important to realize as Christians, and I think it'll help us if we, if we come about this with the right perspective. These people that are, that are lost in transgenderism and, and, and homosexuality and all that, they don't look through life through the same lens that we do. They have yet to meet the Jesus that we know. They have yet to come under the obedience of the scriptures. They don't, even, they don't even realize it. So when we come at them in disagreement, then they're confused as to why. Let me, let me say it this way. I do this. I, I, this is how I do it. I, I try to think, okay, if I didn't know Jesus, if I didn't have the scriptures to guide me, then how would I feel about this situation? How would I feel about somebody who is homosexual or who, who is, is transgender, wants to be of, of a different sex? How would I respond to it? And, and the reality is, and the truth be known, why would I care what somebody else wants to do with their life? Because if at the end of the day, if, if, if evolution is true and if we, there is no creator, there is no standard, then who am I to tell somebody else what they can and can't do or who they can and can't be? Does that make sense? So these people, they, they don't look through the same lens that they do. They haven't found the truth of the gospel yet. And so because of that, we have to respond in compassion and in love and in understanding because it is in that love that they will come to know the truth. That love actually is the thing that's going to change the situation. That them coming to know the same Savior and Redeemer and Creator that we've come to know, that's what's going to change the situation. And so it's important that we respond in compassion. It's important that we respond with understanding. But it's also important that we respond. Because here's the other side of the issue. Is there's also churches and, and believers who become passive in this situation. Who hide their light in the basket of the church. Who think that mercy and think that grace is to just let them live their lives and tell them how much we love them, but then not tell them the truth. It says in, in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Both grace and truth. If you have grace without truth, you are living in selfishness. 
if you have truth without grace, you are also living in selfishness. See, if you have grace without truth, and if it's all, hey, we love you no matter what, and which, let me say that, let me say that differently, we do love them no matter what, but if we, if we love them and don't say anything in response, then you're loving them and patting them back all the way into hell. And real love, real love doesn't stand up. And if you are convinced that the Bible is true, where it talks about even in Romans chapter one, that leading a lifestyle of homosexuality eventually will lead to condemnation. If you really believe that and you say nothing, then you do not love them. When Jesus faced the woman caught in adultery, the woman got brought to him and was caught in the act of adultery. We all know the story. The, the, the Pharisees want to condemn her. Jesus writes in the sand. Eventually they all leave. And then Jesus is standing there with this woman, the only person in the room that had the right to condemn her, and he forgave her. There's the love. There's the grace. And I love this, that she never even asked for forgiveness. And he willingly gave her forgiveness. But then he looked at her and said, go and sin no more. He still said what she did was wrong and it was sinful, but he forgave her and loved her. It's the picture of what truth and grace looks like. Grace and truth, that there's a balance between grace and truth. So we, yes, we have to have grace, but we also have to have truth. We also have to walk in truth. So again, let me, let me just read here from my notes. If you have grace without, or if you have truth without grace, it becomes about being self-righteous. That you forget, forgetting that you needed the cross as much as they do. That if you, if you come with truth without grace, which this, I've seen this a hundred times, which again is why I've, I've at times wanted to back off is because I've, I've seen people come with such truth and leave out the grace aspect. And then it becomes about being self-righteous and it becomes about um, being, being correct and being right than it does about the people involved in the situation. Forgetting again, and we forget why we're, blaring our truth that we need the cross just as much as they do. That even though their sin is the one at the forefront right now, our sin is just as bad and we just as much need the Savior as they did. So we can't operate in just grace and we can't operate in just truth. We have to come with both grace and truth. It's important that we operate in both grace and in truth. And I'll just read you this here again. I know I've, I've said some of this already, but uh, um, love is not passive. Self, being selfish is passive. You know, people who operate in just the grace mode, I think a lot of times it's because they're afraid of, of the consequences of speaking the truth. But once again, it's, it's, a, it's this selfish, it's, it's selfishness to operate in passivity. So Jesus refused to condemn the adulterous woman. He forgave the adulterous woman, but he still called out the sin that was in her life. He looked at the rich young ruler and loved him. Remember this story? The rich young ruler comes to him, wants to know how to inherit eternal life. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, but still wanted him to lay down the greed in his life. Love is not controlling. 
It's just a, that we know a better way and that there is a better way. True love lights up the path. And it's important for us to realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, I think I have it up there. Ephesians 6, 12 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against the school administration. It's not against people who are lost in confusion and this, this idea of being transgender. Our battle is against principalities and powers. You realize there's a spirit behind all of this. There's a spirit behind all of this. There's a spirit of confusion behind all of this. And it's the same spirit that throws us into confusion when we fall into sin. And our battle is not against the school administration and our battle is not against the families who, who have fallen in this trap. Our battle is against the principalities and the powers and the rulers of darkness of this age. I'm all for writing the school administration. In fact, uh, here in a moment, I have, I have Dr. Dietz's email. I want us to, I want us to respond in this. Um, I want you to write Dr. Dietz in this. I'm all for that, and I'm all for going to, going to the school board meetings. I'm all for letting our voices be heard. But if we do all of that and do not go to war in prayer, then we're just carrying a, a gun with no ammo. We will have zero effect because our, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers that are behind this. And so if we go to war physically, but we do not go to war in the prayer room, then we're just wasting our time and our breath. So I'm encouraging you, this is a call to everyone in this congregation to pray about this more than you complain about this. Let this be a, a, um, a priority in your prayer life, that you go to prayer over this situation. I love, I love how there's a, some of you may have heard of him. His name's Rick Pino. He's a worship pastor. And he posted this this week. He said, the best way to dethrone a power or principality is to enthrone a greater power or principality. So this week, I want us to go to prayer and enthrone Jesus in this situation. Amen? It just along those same lines, those same thoughts as far as the prayer goes. I always believe that in every situation, in every problem, he is the answer. Every situation, in every problem. And, and it's the same way with this, that, that um, again, I, here in a moment, I want to I talk about the practical things that we can do and that I, that I think would be good for us to do. But in all of this, I want to say that my focus is still revival. My focus in all of this is still introducing people to Jesus above everything else. Because again, the thing that's going to fix this situation is people encountering Jesus. And let me remind you there in that school system that Dr. Dietz, because of his influence and his, his leadership, it has opened the door for the gospel to be shared every day in that school. That campus life in that school has exploded under the leadership of Sam Yegi, and, and the gospel is shared every single day in that school 
unabashedly and totally open and, and totally encouraged by the administration. And, and it's, it's amazing, and that gives me such hope in this situation because I know that the foundation in that school has been laid for the gospel. And so in all of it, once again, my focus in everything is never going to veer away from people encountering Jesus. And so, I, again, my focus in all this is still for people to encounter Jesus. So, but, but how some of the practical ways that we can do that? Um, uh, Chad, if you go ahead and throw up Dr. Dietz's email there. This, this is the school superintendent's email. I don't know if that's, yeah, you can see that. Um, I would encourage you all this week uh, to email Dr. Dietz. And here's, here's what I think we should do in this email. First, we need to tell him our concerns. Because obviously it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how this could cause some issues. Um, and I'm not going to go into all of that because I think it's I think it's what I think we we know what kind of issues it can cause for the opposite sex to be in a different bathroom than what they should be. Um, tell him your concerns. Email him. Tell him your concerns. But don't just tell him your concerns. Ask him how you can help. Ask him how you can support him. I, I don't know Dr. Dietz super well, but what I have met, or what I do know about him, and what it, any interaction that I've had with him is what has been extremely positive. He's been an incredible superintendent at that school, and he loves Jesus, and he's not ashamed of telling people that he loves Jesus. And I know that this situation is incredibly difficult for him. So instead of just complaining about it, which I, I think we need to tell him our concerns, tell, ask him how you can help him in this situation. Be willing to help him in this situation. Tell him that he is deeply loved, both by the Father and by you. And how much you appreciate him opening up the gospel to that school. Tell him that he is being prayed for on a daily basis and then pray for him on a daily basis. And, and then the last thing I put here is do everything that you told him you're gonna do in the email. Be there willing to help him, love him, and pray for him on a daily basis. And so, and, that, and, and, and if, if you have any questions about, I think Pastor Ron, he showed me this week, he already had emailed him this week. I think Pastor Ron's email was absolutely everything in that list. And it was perfect. It, it let him know our concerns, but it also let him know how deeply loved and supportive we are of him as a Christian man. Amen? So I think that's one thing we can do. But then when you go into your prayer closet, I encourage you to pray this. Ask the Lord for creative ideas. It's a, this is an incredibly difficult situation, and it's going to take the creativity of God to lead us through it. It's going to take the creativity of God to lead the school administration through this. So ask for creative ideas. Ask the Lord for protection. I don't know about you, but I've seen what's happened in this nation over these issues, and it's not pretty. And I don't want that to happen in our school system. I don't want that to happen to the students involved, the parents involved, the administration. I don't want this thing to turn into the, an ugly situation. So pray that the Lord would bring protection over all involved, over the students, over the administration, over, over the parents, over everyone involved. Ask the Lord for protection. And then ask this, ask the Lord to invade the school and this community with heaven. Because once again, the answer to all of this is revival. 
Ask the Lord to invade our school and this community with the heaven, with, with heaven, amen? That he would bring heaven to earth. Jesus said this. He said that we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Are we the light of the church? No, we're the light of the world which means that our light shines brightest when things seem dark. Do you realize that light never has an issue defeating darkness? When we walked in this morning and flipped the lights on in the gym, there wasn't this like cosmic battle between the light in the room and the darkness in the room, right? There, there was no fight. It didn't take like five minutes for the light to win and then uh, the darkness to go away. As soon as I flip that switch on, light conquered darkness immediately. And it's the same thing in this situation, that this is not an issue that's too big for our light, but we have to put our light on the hill. We have to put our light in the world, and that's been, that's how we got in this situation in the first place, is we've and when, again, I'm being general here. I'm not talking about just us, but we've hid our lights in the church. We've hid under this basket instead of putting our light into the world and putting the light of Jesus into the world and the love of Jesus. And that's how we got in this situation in the first place. So the solution is for us to put our light on a hill for everybody to see because light defeats darkness every single time. Every single time. We have the most powerful agent of change living inside of us. The most powerful agent of change lives in each and every person who follows Jesus Christ. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 again. We talked about this last week. I want to I tell you about this agent of change that lives inside of you. It says, for unto us, here's how I get Christmas in here. You ready? See how I did that? Christmas. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. That word government there can also be translated that dominion will be on his shoulders. You understand that God never lost his throne. Not one single time. It says in Psalms that even when the floods of Noah came and that the, that the entire earth was, thrown, was, was, um, was underwater and was, was uh, destroyed, it says that God remained on his throne in the greatest disaster ever recorded in human history. He was still in complete control. And I want to tell you, in this situation and right now, he is still, the government still rests upon his shoulders. He still has full dominion. And then it says his name will be wonderful, which we talked about all last week. So you should know what this means by now. But it says he is beyond comprehension. He is a divine mystery. He is the cause of all joy, amazement, and wonder. Next to him, everything in this world loses its luster. Next to him, everything in this world becomes less appealing that he is the God of wonder and next to him, all our problems become insignificant. As, as we said earlier in the service today, when we were singing, I exalt thee, that when we focus our attention on this wonderful God, that everything else seems to fall into place, that all of our issues become insignificant in the light of how good he is. Amen. Then it says that he is counselor. He guided Moses 
through setting the people free from Egypt. He taught Noah how to build the ark when there had never been rain on the earth. He led David through battle into victory after victory. He was the wisdom in Solomon's ear. He was the voice of the prophets. He told John the Baptist who the Messiah was. He spent three years teaching 12 men how to change the world. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He created the heavens and the earth, and it all belongs to him. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that he has said to you, that the counselor is inside of you right now. The one who led all of these people through all of these things is inside of you right now. He is the counselor. He is mighty God. Mighty there means warrior, hero, and champion. He is a God of battle, and he has never lost. Not one single time. Did you hear that? He is a God of battle, and he has lost never once. Never once has he lost, not one single time. He has no arch enemies. Nobody compares to him. See, sometimes we think that Satan is God's arch enemy, that he's like the opposite of God. He's like the, the yang of the yin, you know, that they, they, there's this cosmic battle between God and Satan, and it's false. Jesus said uh, in Luke chapter 10, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. In response to the disciples who were so proud of themselves for casting out a demon. And he says, hey, hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Satan is no issue for God. He is not God's arch enemy. Do you know how all of this ends in the end? That, you know, if you want to talk about end times, do you know how this whole thing ends? It says that God sends fire from heaven, destroys all of our enemies, and then he casts the devil into hell by a word of his mouth. There is no battle. There is no fight between God and the devil. The devil's already defeated. He is no match for God, not even a little bit. There's no, no chance that he's going to win. His strength doesn't even compare. Like I said, he tried, and the Bible says that he fell like lightning from the sky. That God has no arch enemy that he is a winner every single time. He is the hero and he is the champion. He is mighty God. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse four, it says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to the fight and fights for you against your enemies to give you victory. That he is the one who goes with you. That the, that the, the God who has never lost is on your side in battle. I think that should be a little comforting to us, Amen. He is everlasting father. We've spent the last, I don't know, two months or so talking about God as our father, that we are his sons and daughters. And it says that he is everlasting father, which means forever, means that he never ceases being our father. He never ceases being our father. It means if you mess up and you go prodigal on us, he's still there waiting for you to come home and to call you dad, or call you son. His arms are always open. This means we have the coolest dad in the universe, right? This means that God, who has never lost a battle, is your dad, 
which means his DNA is inside of us. Think about that. That the Bible says that we are created in his image. What, what happens when, we have, when you have a baby, when a baby is born? What's the first thing everybody does? They hold the baby and they're like, oh, he looks just like his dad or he has his mom's nose or whatever. They begin immediately looking for proof that this is this child of the parents, right? The Bible says in Genesis, Genesis, uh, the beginning, I think it's chapter one, one or two, or somewhere at the very beginning, it says that we were made in his image, that we bear a resemblance to God, our father, that his DNA is inside of each and every one of us. So that means if he is a mighty God of victory, then we are people of victory. If, if, it means that, that God's attributes become our attributes because we have his DNA because he is everlasting father to us. Amen? And lastly here in this verse, it says that he is the prince of peace. The word prince there is the word commander or leader. Peace is more than just quiet. And I know how many, I mean, we have a lot of parents in the room and every night, you know, we're looking for that peace and quiet after they go to bed, right? So, you know, we, eight o'clock is like magic hour. Like we put the kids to bed and it's quiet in the house. We turn on Netflix or Hulu or whatever we're stealing from our relatives. And uh, we veg out and watch some kind of show. And it's like, ah, this is peace right here. But we confuse a lot of times peace or quietness with peace stillness with peace and that's not what peace is he um that's not what peace, peace is not quiet this is this is what the definition of peace is and and when you look up the the what the word peace there means in in the greek or hebrew language there's actually a huge list let me give you the highlights it's the word prosperity an intact state of favorable circumstances completeness the state of being free from danger health wholeness, well-being, satisfaction, and contentment. Satisfaction and contentment. Peace is more than just being quiet. It says in Philippians 4, 7, it says that God gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. How many of you realize that we wouldn't need a peace that surpasses understanding if peace meant that everything's gravy? If peace meant that everything in our life is going perfectly to plan and it's quiet, it's still, and life is just grand and good. We wouldn't need a peace that surpasses understanding because that would be peace that is understandable. I made that, yeah, okay. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't need a peace that surpasses understanding if everything was perfect. But the peace that he gives us surpasses understanding, which tells us that we can have this peace, this contentment, this wholeness, this health, this feeling of being safe, and, and this feeling of being free from danger. We can have all of that in the midst of the worst circumstances, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of confusion. We can have this peace that surpasses understanding when we look into his eyes. Amen. He is the prince. He is the commander. He is the one who leads us into peace that surpasses all understanding. So, so with that, when it, relating it back to this situation, we should not be freaking out right now. We should be concerned 
but we should not be freaking out right now because he is the God who provides peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? Let's get a little more Christmassy here. Matthew chapter 1. I'm just, just right now, all I'm doing is, is telling you who's living inside of us. I'm giving you reason to hope in this situation and any other situation you might face in your life because the greatest agent of change, again, is this person I'm describing to you right now, and he lives in us. Look at this, verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, she will, be given, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Savior. For he is destined to give his life to save his people from their sins. Let's stop there for a moment. Go back to, yeah, 21. That his name is to be Savior. In other translations, it says his name is Jesus. So the connection there is this, that his name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. And yes, that can be translated to Joshua, which is my name. I'm not saying that I'm God. I'm just saying that I have a cooler name than you. So his name is Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves or Yahweh brings salvation. So this, this translation here says that his name will be called Savior, that his name will be called Savior. Let me, let me say it like this. He's not the great evacuator or the great escapior. See what I did there? Like a lot of us think, he didn't come to pull us out of this mess. He came to save us. He's the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. He didn't come to, to pull us out. I, and, and I reference that because I've, even, in, even this week, I've heard people talking about this being the end times and this being uh, the time when Jesus is gonna come back soon and he's gonna rescue us from all of this. That's not what this Bible says here. He says that he is the savior of the world. He didn't come to pull us out of the world. He came to save the world. So he is the savior. And then it goes on and it says this in verse 22. It says, this happened so that what the Lord spoke through this prophet would come true. And this is what Isaiah prophesies about the savior of the world. It says, listen, a virgin will be pregnant and she will give birth to a son and he will be known as Emmanuel, which means in Hebrew, God became one of us or that God is with us, that his name is Savior and Emmanuel, that he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and the Prince of Peace, that he is Savior, and then it all ties up nicely with this right here, that he is Emmanuel, the God who is always with us, that all of his attributes, that all of the things that he is, is constantly with us. I don't know about you, but that brings me tremendous joy and comfort and a peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that this God that I just described, that the Bible describes as wonderful, good, counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, the savior of the world, that he is God with us. So what I want, that I've worked this whole time to get to that point right there that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, that he is in us and he is with us through every situation of life, every situation of life, whether it be this, this issue going on in Madison Grant, whether it be an issue going on in your own life, 
Whatever it is, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We have constant access to the great counselor. We have constant access to the mighty God who has never lost a battle. We have constant access to the God who is our never ceasing, everlasting father. He is continually with us. Amen. Man, I'm so grateful for that. I want to close this time and close this morning just with prayer. Um, prayer, I want to pray over this situation. Um, and, and I want to, I want to maybe even we'll have, I don't know yet, we'll see, but we'll maybe have some corporate prayer. But I just want to take a few moments right now and for us just to enter into a time of prayer that we access this God of wonder, that we access this God who is the counselor and the healer and all of the other things that we've talked about this morning. I want to just take some time and just access that God and begin to pray over this situation. So if you, if you wouldn't mind going to that place with me right now and going into that atmosphere, and we'll begin just to release prayer over this situation. Hallelujah. Jesus, we look to you right now. God, above everything else, Lord, above anything else, Lord, we look, we set our eyes focused on you. God, I, I love that, that yes, you love each and every one of us, God, that you love those who have uh, come into the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we are following you, that we are giving our lives for you. Lord, I, I, I love that you love us, but I also love that you love the ones who have not met you yet. God, for this, this student or students or who, whoever's dealing with this situation, that when they lay their heads down at night, God, that you look at them in total love. That, that you absolutely love them more than we could ever imagine. That this administration, that they're going through all of this difficulty, God, that you love them so, so much. God, that the cross was, was meant for them as well. That, that the joy that was set before you on the cross, that allowed you to endure the cross, Lord, wasn't just our faces, but it was their faces. God, even the ones that you know are going to reject you, God, that you love them with an incomprehensible love. And it's your desire for all to be saved. It's your desire for all to be set free and to come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we, we want to respond in the same way. Lord, help us to have your eyes, Father. God, help us that in, in every aspect of this situation, God, let us respond in love. Lord, let us constantly be checking our motives. Are we being self-righteous? Are we being selfish? Are we wanting just the truth to be told and wanting just all of that? Or, or are we approaching this situation in love for these people? Wanting them to come into marvelous light, into the freedom that we are experiencing knowing you, Jesus. God, let us let, help us to check our motives and help us to feel that just overwhelming love for every person involved in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the counselor 
to come and to give us wisdom. God, I pray for creativity to begin to uh, come into our minds, to begin to come into the administration's minds. Lord, that, that creativity would begin to flow for solutions to answers uh, that, that this, this has brought about, Father. God, I pray that the counselor would come, the same one who led Moses through the wilderness, the same one who led, all of the, who led Noah to build the ark, the same one who, who revealed who the Messiah was. God, I pray that you, just as you whispered wisdom into Solomon's ear, that you'd begin whispering wisdom, Lord, into our ear, into the ministration's ear, Lord, into all those who are involved, that the great counselor would be involved in this situation. Father, that that we would approach this situation with your creativity. And Father, in the midst of all of it, Jesus, God, I pray that your light would shine in the darkness. That peace that surpasses understanding would be on, Lord, the administration. And Lord, I pray peace that surpasses understanding would be on these students, Lord, who, who are going through this transgender thing, Father. God, I pray a peace would rest on them. I pray that you would visit them in the middle of the night. God, and that I'm sure that they're struggling right now, and I'm sure that this is an incredibly difficult situation. Lord, as adults, it's an incredible situation. God, I can only imagine what a teenager feels in this situation. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, for a peace over them. God, I pray that you would, again, just visit them and love them and wrap your arms around them, Jesus. And, Father, I I, I now I, I pray against the principality and powers that are in this situation, the, the enemy that is trying to cause confusion, the enemy that is trying to cause strife. God, I pray against that principality right now. God, and, and I declare that a greater principality is gonna sit on that throne, that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords is enthroned over this situation. God, we give you glory. We honor you, Jesus. Guide our tongue, guide our, our, our minds, guide our hearts through all of this, Lord. God, and let, let those who are involved feel your overwhelming love from us, Jesus. Let them feel overwhelmingly loved by us and give us boldness as well, not to be passive, but to come with grace and with truth. Father, we love you so much and we honor you this morning.